Think this question through with Pastor Ed Ray. So what's the difference between failing and a failure? The difference is that everybody fails. But a failure is someone who will not get back up again, who won't go try again. Someone who says, that's it, I'm done. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. How's your prayer life today? Is prayer an important part of your life or just an afterthought? Well, on today's Grow in Grace, Pastor Ed Ray returns to his series in Luke, where in chapter 22, Jesus teaches us the right and wrong way to pray. You know, many helpful books have been written on the subject of prayer in response to the question, how should I pray? But we need look no further than God's Word for the most insightful direction. And that's what we'll do today. Let's turn things over to Pastor Ed. This is the end of the Last Supper, the very last part of it. Jesus is speaking. He said to them, when I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be fulfilled. He was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour in the power of darkness. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But Peter denied Jesus, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, 
Another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with him for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly, running the wrong way. We're looking at Peter here this morning who did that. Someone said that there's only two kinds of people in life. These are those who wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. Or the other kind wake up in the morning and say, good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) We pray you're of the former this morning. Peter was having a bad day in the section of the scripture that we've broken into this morning. He's going to make a pretty big fall in front of the whole world. The key to a quiet, secret Christian life is don't live while the Bible's being written, (laughs) because then for generations, people look at your mistakes. If I were to ask you, name for me a great American president. Any of you would say names like George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or maybe a a recent president like Ronald Reagan. But the majority of Americans when asked say Abraham Lincoln. Now that's an interesting choice. The greatest president in the United States after he was shot, uh, the newspapers called him Honest Abe, the great emancipator. What's interesting to me is that he actually lost eight public elections. He was a terrible businessman. He failed in business twice. And according to one source, he had at least one mental breakdown. Even though he'd had a lot of fallings, even though he failed to do things well over and over again, no one thinks of Abraham Lincoln as a failure. If I asked you, Name for me a great American baseball player. Those of you who follow the game may say somebody like, you know, Pete Rose or Reggie Jackson. But the majority of Americans, when asked, name Babe Ruth. And and even non-baseball fans remember that he's the home run king. Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs, and it was only just in modern, in recent times, that 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 record was equaled and then passed. But what's interesting to me about the greatest American baseball player, at least by popularity, even though he hit 714 home runs, he struck out 1,330 times in his career. How could a guy go up and fail 1,330 times and still be thought of as a great American baseball player? Even though he failed, he was not a failure. We're looking at Peter, the apostle this morning. And Peter is perhaps participating in the best-known failed attempt in history. But Peter is not a failure. In fact, he would go on to be one of the major pillars of the church, and many people would come to Christ because of his message. So what's the difference between failing and a failure? The difference is that everybody fails. But a failure is someone who will not get back up again, who won't go try again. Someone who says, that's it, I'm done. 
That's really the difference between Judas and Peter. We'll look at Judas next time. But Peter is a man who, even though he failed over and over again, no one thinks of him as a failure. Now, this section of scripture that we're looking at this morning breaks up into three parts just by location, real naturally. We're at the very tail end of the Last Supper. So the first section is in the upper room. It's in Jerusalem, the capital city, verse 35 through 38. And Jesus talks about his plan, God's plan, that everything is going according to God's plan. And then they're going to move from there to the garden of Gethsemane. And there Jesus will be arrested in verse 39 through 54. And then the last section is in the priest's courtyard, Peter, near the enemy's fire. And he takes his header exactly as how God said that he would. So let's jump into it and see what the Lord might teach us. Jesus begins by telling him things are going to change. Don't get locked into the way things were for the last three and a half years, guys. There's going to be big changes coming. Starting in verse 35, Jesus said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and saddles, did you lack anything? They said nothing. Now, he's reminding them when he sent them out, first the 12 and then the 70. And he sent them out without anything. He said, don't take extra sandals. Don't take an extra coat. Don't worry about money. I will take care of you. And that's exactly what happened. They went out, they were obedient, and people got saved, people got healed, demons were cast out of people, and had this great success. He's reminding them that he took care of them, and God still takes care of us. If you go out in the name of Jesus, if you'll go into all the world and preach the gospel, if you'll be obedient to what he said, God will take care of your needs. Maybe not our greeds, but he does take care of our needs. So, he reminds them that he's always been there to take care of them, but things are going to change. There's going to be a radical change, verse 36. But now, he who has money bag, let him take it, and likewise his sack, a backpack. He who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. There's a time coming now. I'm about ready to leave you, and you're going to go into difficult places in the world. You're going to go into the Roman Empire, and it's filled with robbers and thieves and highwaymen, and there's a lot of people that like to hurt you. And you're going to have to take some self-defense with you. This is not a scripture condoning rebellion against the government. But the Apostle Paul said that we're to recognize governments over us as being ordained by God. So how is it that Paul himself ended up in prison several times? Because you obey the government until they tell you you can't do what God tells you to do. Peter had the same problem. He appeared before the Sanhedrin. They said, don't speak of this Jesus anymore. It's against the law for you to speak of Jesus. He said, what am I going to do? Will I obey God or will I obey man? And obviously, he obeyed God. Now, this idea in this scripture is that God has defining moments in our life. He changes our direction. It may be true for somebody here this morning that you think you know what God's going to do with your life in the next 10 or 20 years. But in fact, today, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and change the direction that you're at a crossroads right now and you don't even see it coming. Don't get locked into the way that you have been doing things. God likes to change directions in our life. So we need to remain flexible and willing to change course as God leads. This is Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is at the midway point of our study in Luke 22. 
We have a sign up in the office that says the seven last words of a dying church, but we've never done it this way before. There is a danger of getting locked in. Well, God, you got to do it this way because you did it that way last time. No, no, no. Jesus is the same. Things are going to change. Verse 37, for I say to you, that which is written must be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 12. He's saying, I'm going to have to be crucified, die amongst thieves, criminals. It was foreordained hundreds of years before. But the point is, gentlemen, he's speaking to his disciples. This plan has been unfolding since before the foundations of the earth. Everything that's about it to happen, it's father-filtered. It's what we have decided is going to happen. The most ancient prophecies are about to be fulfilled. For the things concerning me are coming or have an end. We're coming to an end right now. It's going to happen over the next 24 hours. Get ready. It's coming. But they misunderstood. Now, you've got to put yourself in the mind, in the sandals of these guys that are always looking to be the greatest. Remember? They're always fighting among each other. John and James' mom comes to Peter, you know, let my boys be on your right hand and your left hand. They're having these arguments about who's the greatest in the kingdom because their idea of the Messiah was that he was going to take over the Roman Empire, throw them out of Israel, and they were going to rule and reign with Jesus. They were going to be Jesus' generals. That's what they're thinking right now. Oh, we know the story, but you have to put yourself in their mindset so you'll see how it unfolds, how they're trapped into thinking that they're going to take the Roman Empire on. Jesus said, you're going to need swords as you go out into the world. And they say, look, we've got two. And Jesus says, it's enough. Enough of such talk is what I believe he's saying here. He didn't mean literally that every one of you must have a sword. He's saying things are going to change here. Well, they move from there into the garden, verse 39. And coming out of downtown Jerusalem, they're going to work their way outside of the city walls, go down through the Kidron Valley. He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. They go through this valley where the blood is probably still running from the Passover lambs that had in fact been sacrificed, slaughtered for the Passover. And then verse 40, he comes to a place. And he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. The place is Gethsemane. Matthew 26 says he went to this garden. The name of it means olive press. It's a garden you can still visit today that has ancient old olive trees in it. Now, in the city of Jerusalem, there are no gardens inside the city walls. The real estate's too expensive. In fact, they even build houses up on the walls. So no one had a garden. So outside the city wall, people would have vegetable gardens, or in this case, it's an olive garden. There'd be some vines there, some, a vineyard there also. There's an ancient old olive tree. We can't tell how old it is because olive trees don't have rings like most trees. But these are huge. They're gigantic. Maybe it was a garden that belonged to one of the disciples, someone who was following Jesus, we're not told. But this garden has great significance. In fact, it was in this garden that he would be crushed and pressed. It's an olive press, right? This is where olives were taken and they were pressed for the oil so that the oil could be used in lamps and cooking, etc. Well, Jesus is about to be pressed and out will come salvation for you and I. So he's in Gethsemane and he is going to surrender to his flesh, to the will of God and be crucified for our sins. 
He gives them a warning. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus knew what was about to happen, and he's giving them a warning, but he's also giving them a solution. The solution is prayer. The lesson is prayer helps with temptation. It helps with temptation. It doesn't take temptation away, but we're all tempted. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. There's no temptation except that which is common to men, but God will make a way in the midst of every temptation, a way of escape. If you'll pray, if you and I will spend time in his presence, if we'll spend some time in advance so when the temptation comes, we'll be stronger and we'll be looking to the Lord. Well, prayer helps with temptation. And he withdraws, verse 41, from them, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. Matthew adds, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Grieved all around, literally, he says. He's about ready to be crushed. Now, don't misunderstand. The agony is not the physical pain that he's worried about. He's going to be crushed under the sin of the whole world, my sin and your sin. He's going to take on the sins of mankind, become the substitute, the sacrifice, the great exchange for us. He who knew no sin would become sin for us, the writer of 2 Corinthians said. Bear the sins of many, Hebrews 9.28. Jesus is taking on my sin. And he prays, verse 42, Father, Mark adds, Abba, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup. The cup is the cross, the pressure of the sins of the world on him. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This isn't a conflict that's going on. This is Jesus shrinking from this physically, humanly, shrinking from this pressure of the sins of the world coming on him. I like it that Jesus, again, reminds us that God is our Father. He taught us to pray that way, right? Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. When Mark says, Abba, Father, it's interesting. If you go to Israel today, the little kids run around and say, Abba, 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 which is Daddy. And they're going to ask dad for an ice cream or whatever. Why is it they always ask dad for that? What's the deal there? Soft touch, something. So uh, Jesus speaks to his heavenly father as a model for us to remember to pray to our heavenly father. Now the father responds, look at verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven. He sends the ministering angels to strengthen him. That's all it says. Angels are ministering beings sent from God. This one was probably excited to have this opportunity to minister to God the Son. We don't know exactly how, but he strengthened him. Jesus was in agony, verse 44 says. He prayed more earnestly, so much so that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Just part of a lot of blood that he was going to shed that day for you and for me. Part of that cleansing part of the way that God would cleanse us from our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is an interesting medical phenomenon called hematotrosis, and it's rare, but it has been recorded in other human beings under great stress, under great pressure. The subcutaneous capillary beds break open and leak into the sweat glands, and when you sweat, out comes blood too. So Jesus is under tremendous pressure. Blood pressure is climbing humanly. And then he rose up from prayer, verse 45. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Dr. Luke is kind, he says, from sorrow. <laughs> They're sleeping because of the pain. Jesus understood their weaknesses. In Matthew, he adds, the flesh is weak. 
He is a high priest. He is our priest who understands the human weaknesses that we all struggle with. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus was at that very moment locked in a struggle against human passion. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Matthew tells us Jesus came three times and find him sleeping. I know that problem. Get up early and start to pray. And then I turn around and I put my head on the seat of the chair so I can you know, think more intently about Jesus. And then I wake up with slobber running down my face. And you didn't need that, sorry. My heart started out right. I loved Alan Redpath when he was here. He said he needed blanket victory, meaning over the blanket in the morning. I understand that. So they're sleeping. They're not giving God any time. Jesus is warning them there's temptation coming. We need to spend time before the Lord not just giving him a grocery list. It's easy to do that. You come rushing in, giving the list, and then run out the door. Read a little. Listen to Isaiah 40. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, power to the weak. And to those who have no mighty increase of strength, even the youth shall feign to be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, if I'll just wait on God, He'll renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God wants us to spend some time in his presence, and then he'll speak to us in a way that we'll understand. Well, Jesus is waking them because, verse 47, while he was still speaking, a multitude shows, and Judas is out in front. Notice it says, called Judas one of the 12. All four of the gospels identify Judas that way probably to underscore this cunning deception in Judas's plans. This multitude, it's an interesting term. John uses a slightly different one over in John 18, 12. He calls them a detachment. The Greek word is cohort. And technically, in the Roman legion, that was 600 men. Now, we normally see this, you know, artist rendering of this with, you know, about 10 guys standing around with those cute little red skirts on. But this was an army of of serious, battle-hardened Roman legionnaires. It's a huge crowd. Jesus said to them, Judas, Matthew adds, friend. Ooh, that had to hurt. Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Why are you kissing? Jesus is reaching out to Judas, I believe. He's trying to touch him. You say, I know what you're up to, Judas. I understand. Turn. You're about ready to fall. But you can turn, too. You can come back to me. Jesus is still reaching out. You see that sort of grace and compassion from beginning to end of Jesus' ministry. Even on the cross, he never stopped reaching out to the undeserving sinner. Like Judas and Peter, we have the choice to repent of our sins. Are you going to choose to be like Judas or like Peter? Join us next time as we continue our study through the book of Luke here on Grow in Grace. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again. That's thepackinghouse.org. 
or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. And if you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke. This program is brought to you by Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, build with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 